it's really challenging to think of something 16 years ago when so much of that moment had hurt me and you know being America's sweetheart and being told that you were the favorite to win. Jacob Ellis has been described as the most dominant female rider of the last decade. And being put on such a big stage so young was definitely very challenging. What does it mean to you to head into the Olympics? I'm so happy to, you know, get to represent my country again. I'm excited to go through opening ceremonies and try to go for the gold. It's the 2006 Olympic Winter Games in Torino, Italy. Going into her first Olympics is American snowboarder Lindsay Jacobellis. She's just 20 years old. She's far and away the gold medal favorite in women's snowboard cross. This is actually the first time that snowboard cross was an Olympic event. If you've never watched it, the snowboard cross is this exhilarating ride. Borders race down a course of all these curves and jumps. I remember that the weather had cleared up and it was better than during time trials. A minute and a half course. Lindsay getting wow. a decent start. I was ahead. And this is exactly where Lindsay Jacobellis wanted to be out front, avoiding all the contact. And there was a lot of carnage on the hill. Volte goes down into the snow fence. I remember the girls had been crashing and I could hear them, then I couldn't hear them. It was not always easy to be looking back, checking, but when I did look back and check, I did realize that I had a little bit more of a lead. Total carnage, but look at the lead that Jacob Ellis has now. I'm snowboarding, I'm having fun. An unbelievable commanding lead, Lindsay Jacob Ellis pulling away in gold medal position. And then coming to the second to last jump at the last minute. And this is a textbook race for Lindsay Jacob Ellis. I was like somewhat in the air. I'm like, oh my God, I'll do this because, oh my God, this, this is happening. As Lindsay goes over the second to last jump, she reaches down and does what's called a method grab. She grabs the front of her board. Oh! Jacob Ellis goes down! Jacob oh, Ellis goes what? down! And she crashed. The position that I'm coming into the jump, I'm not setting up to do a method grab. And if you're doing a method grab off a jump, you set up a very specific way. A method throws you off balance on purpose, so you have to position your body a little differently. A shocker on the home stretch. And it wasn't even the last jump. If it had been the last jump, I might've just been able to slide across the finish line. Tanya Frieda of Switzerland grabs the gold oh and Jacob Ellis gets the silver. It was just bad timing and it was just bad luck. And dude, right there, dude, she did, a, she did a method. A lot of times athletes are held to a different standard and not allowed to make mistakes. She, she just went down on a showboat trick. This is In The Moment from Religion of Sports and PRX. I'm David Green. Each week we sit down with an elite athlete and dissect a pivotal moment in their career, second by second. This week my guest is Olympic snowboarder Lindsay Jacobellis. After that fall in 2006, she would go on to compete in four other Olympics, and her story would come full circle 16 years later when she would take home the gold. 
Winning gold absolutely was wonderful. I had been having to, you know, believe in myself so many times, but there are those moments of doubts. So it did rekindle that energy that I should never stop doubting myself and to keep pushing myself no matter what's put in front of me. Back after a break. What is actually going on with the economy nowadays? The price of gas? Inflation? Are we in a recession? I'm Jeff Guo, co-host of NPR's Planet Money. Come along with our super team of econ experts as we delve into the stories that show you how the world really works. That's Planet Money from NPR. Thirty-seven-year-old Lindsay Jacobellis never set out to become an Olympic snowboarder. She started skiing when she was about five. She got into snowboarding when Stratton Mountain in Vermont, where her family would spend weekends, started hosting competitions. Stratton Mountain was hosting this little local race on the bunny slope on Friday nights. Lindsay was 11 or so. She and her older brother, Ben, would both race. And Lindsay would often go up against boys her age because they didn't always have enough girls. I didn't always do well. I was definitely bashed around by the boys a little bit, but it made me tough. And every now and then I would be contending or I did win. And she did still love skiing. But after a house fire destroyed their winter gear one year, her dad said they could only afford to finish out the season in one sport or the other. So he was like, you have to pick one because I can only afford to, you know, outfit one. And we, my brother and I chose snowboarding. In high school, Lindsay ended up attending Stratton Mountain School, which was known for developing world-class winter athletes. But her main sport, the snowboard cross, wasn't an Olympic event then. And so she figured maybe she'd work in snowboarding or something. Well, then a couple years before the 2006 Olympics, it was added as an event. My parents are like, oh my God, how crazy is this? You're, you have the potential to go to the Olympics for something. And we never really pushed you in that direction. It just kind of came to be. You were just kind of following something that you loved. A sport she loved, but in many ways she wasn't prepared. Unlike other young top athletes, Lindsay had never planned to be an Olympian. And so when she got to the Games... She just wasn't prepared for the crush of media attention and the criticism. It wasn't something that I was training for mentally from that age. It was just three years prior. So, you know, my whole goal, you know, I had been winning, a, you know, a bunch of races all in 2005 and had great momentum. I'd actually hurt my knee right before... Olympics at X Games, and I actually pulled myself out of that race, and I had to get my knee actually drained before I even went to the Olympics, because it was just kept swelling up so badly. Uh, but, you know, you try to take, his, take it in strides and try to just focus on the moment, but there's, there's so much that goes into an event, and the prep that you put into a, an event, and it it makes it very challenging to, you know, stay focused and to stay on task, especially when you have all this media attention that you're kind of forced to do all this media. You're given outfits, you all match because people have paid for you to 
be in that specific outfit to be on a stage with microphones in front of you and you're just answering all of these questions. They're not from your perspective. They're how the media wants to start to build a story around you specifically. So it's never your narrative. It's this is the narrative we have of you. You need to fit yourself into it. Right. And so it's a whole different level of media and attention than I've ever experienced. X Games is always, yes, we had the media and, but it wasn't days up until it wasn't, you know, it was usually just quick blurbs here and there, then you're done, then you do your thing. They kind of just follow you and they're, you know, watching how you're putting your equipment together and how your board's being prepared. And it was snowing really, really heavily that morning when we had to do time trials. And so we're trying to be in the tent and stay warm, stay dry. And the cameras are popping in the tent, trying to see what you're doing. So, you know, we never experienced those kind of moments at any other race. So it, it makes it a little bit more challenging to have this new element to be working with. And who's with you? Like, is it, is it a coach? Is it other team members? Like when you say we, and you're trying to get through this together? I would say just other athletes, Border Cross had never been in the Olympics before, so no one has experienced this level of media before. I could imagine everyone had their potential own stressors or expectations from their own countries on how they were hoping to do. Just more aware that this is actually what's happening and this is Olympics, this is big deal. And, you know, you get caught up in in all the fun free swag you get and everything, but you you don't realize like what the reason actually is. The coolest part and has always been the coolest part of the Olympics is opening ceremonies. To me, it's because you can look around and you see other individuals like yourself. I felt like an outcast a lot of the times because I had gone such a different route and had to step away from my long-term friends for a while and would lose track with them because they were going to college or doing other things and didn't get to meet up with them all the time. But I had this feeling of commonality that I'm looking around, seeing everyone from all different walks of life, all different sports, but we've all made such similar sacrifices to be sharing this moment, which I thought was a beautiful thing. And what I always try to pull the positive out of my Olympic experiences. So running around trying to collect the pins and be trading off and get the rare ones like the Jamaican bobsled team became these like games and these fun distractions to try to, you know, wash out that sound of your own pressure that your country could be putting on you or for me personally, my own pressure and expectations I'm putting on myself. And here's one thing I found amazing. Lindsay told me that she only watched her 2006 run recently to help with a book that she's writing. She had never watched video of her fall before. There was no positive outcome to be watching something that I knew that would hurt me. It would try to just be to what I can remember and why maybe I I did it. And also maybe coming to the conclusion I might not fully understand why I did that in that moment. But I do remember that I was ahead and had a good lead. 
I remember the girls had been crashing and I could hear them then I couldn't hear them. And it was not always easy to be looking back checking. But when I did look back and check, I did realize that I had a little bit more of a lead and that I was in a good spot. And then coming to the second to last jump, you know, at the last minute, trying to throw a grab, not preparing for it was kind of just this like ditzy moment that like, oh my God, this sound, this seems good to do because when I go off jumps, I do grabs for fun because that's snowboarding. And so many people, you know, just don't understand that because they don't understand what snowboarding truly means. And I do it all the time and I still do it. And I did it in my last Olympics, not like fully intending to, but it just kind of happened because at the end of the day, I'm snowboarding, I'm having fun. It was just bad timing and it was just bad luck that I fell in 2006. When you watch the video, the impression you have is that like a grab is something that that someone snowboarding does like, you know, for show or to to celebrate the moment. It's like you you think like, oh, she knows she's going to win. She knows she's ahead. Let me just do this move and grab my snowboard while I'm in the air. Um, but you're saying it wasn't like a celebration. It's just something you do when you're loving what's happening and you're enjoying the sport. Yeah. And, and it's not something I was thinking that I was planning on doing. And a lot of times riders would say like, oh, if I'm out ahead, I'm, I would do something crazy. And then they don't always do it because then they get like nervous that something could happen. But me at my young age, like was not really fully maybe weighing the consequences of my actions. I mean, I was 20 years old. I was very, very young. And a lot of times athletes are held to a different standard and not allowed to make mistakes. Did that cause the fall, do you think? grabbing the board. Yeah. Because it threw me off balance. It definitely like looking back and watching for me very closely, trying to understand what happened. It wasn't the position that I'm coming into the jump. I'm not setting up to do a method grab. And if you're doing a method grab off a jump, you set up a very specific way. If you're doing any other grab, you don't really need a setup, but a method throws you off balance on purpose. So you have to counter that before you take off the lip. Not so much in half pipe because of just the trajectory and you're leaning back into the pipe and you're going to be coming back into the pipe. So it helps. But on a jump, it's it has to throw you something. You have to position your body a little differently. And I definitely didn't do that. So it's definitely wasn't a thought out planned moment at that time, it was just that happened. I was like somewhat in the air. I'm like, oh my God, I'll do this because, oh my God, this is, this is happening. And it wasn't even the last jump. If it had been the last jump, I might have just been able to slide across the finish line and be like, oh, that was unfortunate. But, you know, whether I know I was fatigued physically, most likely mentally fatigued, who knows if I even remember if that I was on the last jump or not. I can't, I can't really take myself back 16 years and try to understand where my immature Lindsay's mindset was. Do you remember the feelings of getting up finishing and, but finishing silver and, and sort of what your first feelings were when the race was done? I mean, I definitely was embarrassed and I was immediately getting bombarded with media and they were already giving me 
all this shame and, and disappointment and just not really trying to understand it. And really the best thing I could do, because they wanted the, the, they wanted the reason they wanted to understand like why I was showboating. I'm like, that was not the case. And I was just called a showboater. I'm like, if you don't understand, like, yeah, maybe I looked like a showboater, but that to me, I was just having fun and it was just something that happened. And I, I, I didn't plan it. And that's just how it went down. And that was just not a good enough reason for the media. So they, they made up their own reason. And that stuck with me for 16 years. As someone who's been in the media for a long time, I hate the media right now listening to you describe this. I mean, this is just, this is heartbreaking, especially for, for someone who was 20. Yeah, the, the media has been relentless to me for sure. There's been some people that have been empathetic and have admired my perseverance and, uh, you know, it's, and it was never about like, I got to come back and get gold all those other years, 2010, you know, 2014, I was struggling and doing different things and, and things, different things were happening to me during different points in my life personally that. You know, I would maybe think, you know, is it time to put snowboarding aside and go to school and do something else? And I'd think about it. I'd be like, I don't think I would be happy. I might be unhappy in this moment and frustrated with snowboarding and how it's been treating me. But ultimately, I can't see myself being happy doing something else. So I keep going. I keep fighting. I keep breaking records and changing the dynamic and challenging everything. But every four years, it wouldn't be enough because those media outlets would come in, learn a couple of our buzzwords, do a quick, you know, media search, get their little history note cards on each athlete. So the easiest one would be like, oh, last Olympics, boom, not anything else she's done in between. They'd never do the actual research of what was developing the sport, how the sport was evolving and growing and how I had been, you know, changing the sport, not only for women, but for men in the sport, which always definitely upset me that they'd always want to just constantly be focusing on the negative. So it just made me have to learn how to take control over the interviews and direct them how I wanted to go. Well, let me do the right thing and ask you what you wish you could have been saying through those years, as opposed to, you know, oh, the last Olympics, she didn't get gold. Like, what, what do you wish the narrative would have been about you and the sport in 2010 and 2014? Well, I mean, you could read, you could read all the headlines of everything. And even though the, the articles were written, you know, in a fair way and, you know, not necessarily always negative, the titles were negative. And that's what you read first. And that's what you see first. So then you ultimately start believing that about yourself, and how damaging that could be, and how damaging the media can be towards an individual, not only just an athlete, but other individuals. So there is a power with words and or not even highlighting that I lost highlight the person that won. Because can you remember all the other athletes that won during those years? So feel bad for all those women. <laughs> Through all those years, Lindsay never gave up. 
She's won 10 X Games gold medals, six world titles. She's performed in five Olympics, but never got Olympic gold until 2022. And I had to just take a lap and wanting to get away from the cameras because I knew they wanted to be right in my face. I'm like, they can come chase me. They can come try to see what's happening on my face. More when we come back. So take me to 2022. This is 16 years after 2006. You had to give yourself this mental calm tempo to be working with. Lindsay Jacob Ellis, she's down off the jump. As soon as I did that last turn, I knew I was almost in the clear. Lindsay Jacob Ellis will claim the gold medal. You see me in the tuck, but I'm almost just kind of leaning on my legs because my legs are so gassed at that point. It's not a normal tuck. I'm kind of just collapsing over and then having to use my entire body to help myself stand back up was ultimately the feeling that I was feeling there on top of true excitement. Redemption belongs to Lindsay Jacob Bellis. So you cruise down, you cross the finish line, you win gold, and it's amazing talking just about narratives. Like you listen to the announcer and the thing he says about you is, she can finally put 2006 to rest. I don't care what he says. I want to know what that meant for you to cross that finish line. I mean, just looking at the images, you weren't jumping up and down going crazy. You looked really quiet. But what, can you take me there? Because that's how I am with all my races. I've, you know, from a little kid, my parents are, you know, always say, you be, you don't be a sore loser and you be a, a good winner, you know, even though it's your amazing moment, other people don't have that moment. Don't be obnoxiously flaunting it in spread of someone. So try to, you know, be empathetic of what other people are going through. And so in that moment, I, I had that, like that explosive energy and then that that healing moment for myself. But then I had to just take a lap and wanting to get away from the cameras because I knew they wanted to be right in my face. I'm like, they can come chase me. They can come try to see what's happening on my face. <laughs> like, I don't need to cater to them. <laughs> this isn't about them. I didn't do media before this Olympics. I opted not to do it because I wanted, this was my fifth Olympics and I wanted to enjoy it. They had taken that, those moments away from me so many times to experience it that the Olympic stage, how so many other athletes get to experience it. And I wasn't allowing them to do that to me. And no matter what my result was. What kept you fighting? I mean, what kept you going after, you know, 2010, 2014, 2018? Was it wanting a gold at some point? It wasn't that. It was, and it's why I'm still competing now and training in, in Austria now, because just because I won a gold, it's not that, oh, you've won, so what are you doing next? It's not like, I'm going to Disneyland and I'm done. <laughs> it's like, no, that's, it's been my job. It's been my career. It's how I've shaped future riders of the sport with this incredible, exciting sport. It wasn't wanting to accept what everyone just expected me to do. 
and it was never about redemption. That's just the story they wanted to write. So that was like, oh, it was redemption because that's always like a fun thing to say. Yeah, it's an easy, easy narrative. Yeah, exactly. It's just going to another competition, you know, shake it off, dust it off. There's the next one. That's what I was taught from a very, like, whether it was t-ball, whether it was swimming, whether it was you lost a game, you lost a meet, it's okay, there's the next one. If you still love doing it, then you do it. Once it becomes that it's not fulfilling you in a certain way, that's when you quit, that you move on to something after. And it's not in me to just quit when I feel like I still have life in me. And that was kind of just the cycle of it. And it's just, you know, I had injuries or, you know, other things that I was working through and it was always just the cycle. It wasn't, I wasn't living just for the Olympics. There's other things happening within four years and snowboarding is very much a part of that and being a part of the growth of snowboarding in my sport. What did winning gold mean to you in your words? Winning gold, I mean absolutely was wonderful. It made me, I had been having to, you know, believe in myself so many times, but there are those moments of doubts. So it did rekindle that energy that I should never stop doubting myself and to keep pushing myself no matter what's put in front of me. And what a great moment that could be for anyone else that's struggling with anything in their life that they shouldn't give up or they should you know, take a, take a different tactic or come at it from a, a different way and to make sure they have the support system they need to get them to where they want to be or where the, what they're striving for. And that's, that was also another huge moment that I had to be as part of an athlete being mature and reaching out and asking for moments when I needed that support and that I did, you know, need somebody to talk to. And that that is such a huge like moment now in sports that people are starting to finally respect and acknowledge that it's no joke what people go through and the expectation. And it was always just good TV when somebody was upset and crying and the, it's the drama, but they're not actually understanding the stress or the pain or the struggle that an athlete could go through during those moments. Can you talk more about that? I feel like we're just beginning to appreciate mental health and someone like you, an, an Olympic athlete, and, and what it means. And I mean, what, what can we all do differently in terms of our understanding as we watch you, you know, as we're proud of you, as we support you and other Olympians? Um, what do you think we should know that we don't when it comes to this? I would say if you're an announcer and you've never actually done the sport, then you really don't have a right to be, you know, really tearing somebody down for something. I've done some announcing for surfing and I constantly talk about, you know, what these athletes are facing and the challenges that they're working through and, you know, how incredible that moment was that they were able to work through it and being empathetic to the athletes that it didn't come around for. And I've actually been doing mental coaching with athletes and I've had some, I've had a younger athlete that I've worked with for a while and I wanted to share those moments and those struggles that I went through because I ultimately never want an athlete to feel how I ever was feeling 
or how I was ever treated by the media. And if I could do that for as many people as possible, then I feel like I've accomplished something. And what kind of mental coaching have you gotten and, and what has been effective about it and kind of helping you? I started working with Denise from the Rethink Group. And she it's interesting how she came into my life because she works uh, with day traders on Wall Street and their their intensity and how much, I mean, I've been on the stock exchange for only like a half of a day and it was for charity and it was super stressful, even though it was all fun. But to understand that world and to understand what those individuals go through on a minute to minute basis is crazy. So I guess she could see that there was a huge connection between being a trader and being in that environment and all of those emotions are very similar to a professional athlete and she had loved skiing so she thought like well why wouldn't i want to work with the best and she approached the u.s ski team and no one from the u.s ski team really jumped on the opportunity they just were like oh that's interesting like her of the way that she wanted to use her tactics and her strategies that she wanted to use and it was actually just my coach that was like, I think I have somebody for you. And, you know, at that point, it's like, you know, we haven't tried this. So why not try it? Let's see where it takes us to see what evolves from it and see how you grow from it. So I really enjoyed that process because for one, it made me understand myself. It made me stick up for myself more and didn't just allow me to accept what the media wanted, was wanting to say about me, that that actually didn't define me as a person or as an athlete. What was the experience like? You, you said you watched the video of 06 for the first time really recently. Um, what was that like and, and kind of what advice had you gotten from your, your coach in terms of how to, how to make it through that? I don't think I had gained any other knowledge recently from when I was talking when I started talking back in 2017 with her, it was more of a forgiveness that I was expressing for myself. And that forgiveness actually did come a lot easier because I had won. But for 22, I went in with the narrative that if this doesn't work and I don't win or get a medal, I will be okay. You know, it, this does not define me as a person. Like people who know me, who have been in my life, know who I am. They know the type of person I am and love me for that. It's not how I'm defined in sport. Had you won gold in 2006? Do you think you would have been in all the Olympics afterwards and, and even 2022 and still be here still thinking about, you know, future Olympics or, or would your journey have been different? I... I've actually been asked that before, and I've actually said if I had won in 2006, I would not be in the sport. I would have probably retired. I would have gone to college because I didn't enjoy the amount of pressure and what was put on me in the buildup. It actually took a lot of the fun out of snowboarding, and it just became this just everyday methodical just motion that I was going through. And 
maybe that just needed to happen so I could be giving to the sport what I have and that I wasn't done in defining who I was. So I just kept going. So do you, I don't know, do you wish that, that you had done the other journey? Like, do you have regrets or how do you kind of come to terms with all that? I mean, ultimately I can't change that, but th those actions have also made me the individual I am today. And I like who I am today. So ultimately that was a, a big determining moment that led me to who I was and who I became. Are you, are you going to compete in 2026? Um, right now we're just taking a year at a time, but I really like how I've been kind of dabbling in, in other worlds right now. Um, you know, before Olympics, I didn't know if I was going to win. So start working on my backup plans and started doing sports announcing. I got my personal training certification and started training people. Nice. And I started doing the mental coaching. So I had three new aspects that I was starting to kind of work on to see which one I would really venture into at a higher level, or could I be doing all three? Um, it's hard to completely just stop after you've been doing something for over 20 years at that intensity and to have that love and passion for something. It's scary. And I talked to other athletes about it. I'm like, how do you find that a hundred percent in something else. And we're talking about like, well, maybe it's okay. There were only 50% into one thing. And then we can actually change because we don't have to give 20 years into, into something and that would be okay. And then you could just shift and go into something else. So that's still something that I'm navigating as an individual and seeing what other options I have. And, you know, it's what I have to juggle with. And, you know, if I want a family, you know, I have a smaller window to be doing that now. So that I essentially have to be choosing a career over family. And that's what women in sports a lot of times have to do. So that's potentially on the table as well. So there's, there's a lot of things to kind of work through and to see what opportunities come up that make sense. That's Lindsay Jacob Ellis, the most decorated female snowboard cross athlete of all time. Now, I want to acknowledge something about this interview. Before we started recording with her, I said to Lindsay, okay, so I'd love to start with that moment, your fall in 2006. And she said, you know, maybe we could start with, I don't know, like a time I won. And this was a really valuable lesson for me, one I wanted to bring up to her. I want to be vulnerable for a minute. Like I, I really learned something from you about how to approach conversations like this, because I think, um, you know, it's exactly the trap that you, that you brought up as we were talking, like, you know, this is someone's, this is someone's life. And like, we can read about something and just roll right in and be like, Hey, let's talk about 2006. Like that must've been really painful. And, you know, I'm going to try and do much better in really, you know, thinking that through, um, before coming and talking to someone. And you gave me the gift of kind of, you know, being able to think about that. <laughs> Well, I would, I would definitely be, I think maybe the verbiage or the direction could be like, what an amazing show at 2022. I would love to work back throughout the years and see what things you knocked you down and how you were able to ultimately bring yourself up to that moment. Yeah, It's ultimately understanding the moment of vulnerability 
and giving the person time to have that growth and they'd be more open to sharing with you in those moments. I think instead of potentially shutting down in, in media all the time, I just give the stock answers, shut down. And because what's the reason to share? This person's not caring or being empathetic in any way. They just want the same story that they're going to rewrite and rewrite in four years. So why am I going to jump through any hoops? <laughs> well, thank you for opening up. And I hope you feel like you were, you were given that opportunity here. And I just really appreciate it. Absolutely. Okay, so to find out about our upcoming interviews, follow Religion of Sports on Instagram and Twitter. And you can follow me. I am at Fearless Green. That is Fearless underscore Green with an E on the end. If you like the show, leave us a review on Apple Podcast or wherever you listen. I got to say, this show would not be what it is without an extraordinary team making it all happen. In the Moment is produced by Sarah McCrory. Sound design and mixing by Michael Raphael and Jocelyn Gonzalez at PRX Productions. Britt Kahn is our talent booker. Our production manager is BJ Olin. Story research was done by Joe Levin. Kevin Sullivan edited this episode and is the head of talk. Gotham Chopra, Amit Sankaran, and Adam Schlossman are our executive producers. And Fearless Media is our consulting producer. Also, special thanks to Teresa Tran. In the Moment is a production of Religion of Sports and PRX. I'm David Green. We're going to be back next week with another athlete and their moment.